0: So Hebrews 1 God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, that is Jesus, by himself, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, notice, having become so much better than the angels, as he, Jesus, has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So we're, we're looking at Hebrews as hearing God's voice or when God speaks. Andrew Murray, I'd like you to listen carefully now. I'm gonna read a quote, and I'm also gonna finish it at the end of my time tonight. Andrew Murray, in his commentary on Hebrews, writes this. The great complaint... Of all who have care of souls is the lack of wholeheartedness, of steadfastness, of perseverance and progress in the Christian life. So the great complaint of all who have care of souls. In other words, we who are parents, have care of souls. There are people in our lives that we are wanting to see them go on. But he writes here, the great complaint of any of us who, walking with the Lord and caring about others, is the lack of wholeheartedness, steadfastness perseverance, and progress in the Christian life. Could you amen that, that, what he said there? He goes on to say, many of whom one cannot but hope that they are true Christians come to a standstill and do not advance beyond the rudiments of Christian life and practice, what I would call an arrested state of development. And many more do not even remain stationary, but turn back to a life of worldliness, of formality, of indifference, and the question is continually being asked, what is the want or the lack in our religion that in so many cases it gives no power to stand, to advance, to press on into perfection? And what is the teaching that is needed to give that health and vigor to the Christian life that through all adverse circumstances, it may be able to hold fast the beginning To the end. Now, maybe you're here tonight. I think each of us as believers understand that battle that we go through. Do you understand that? We want to progress, but sometimes it seems like it just doesn't work. And so in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews gives us five warnings. And you might look at the book of Hebrews as being a little bit depressing. It is not at all. What he's doing is he's giving us warnings in order that we might have hope. He's warning us about. These things that can happen in order that, that we might take action so they don't happen. And in not happening, we will have a tremendous amount of hope in this life. Do you need hope? I need hope. We all need hope. Not only hope, but then faith, Hebrews 11, and love. So the author of the book has been argued. Many believe that Paul wrote it. And I don't know what Greg or Rick or Lowell or whatever you guys believe about who wrote it. But you can give your opinion. Other, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila. Others believe that Paul wrote it and Luke translated it into Greek. Barnabas, to me, seems like an interesting possible candidate. He was a Levite, and the book is filled with Levitical faith. One commentator wrote, We can scarcely improve on the words of Origen's conclusion that, quote Who wrote the epistle, God only knows the truth. And as we begin the book, that's exactly where we begin. Notice what it says there. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers but through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Who is speaking to us in the word of God? God is speaking to us. The authors were human, but it's the Holy Spirit who breathed the, the words into, into, into their pens or whatever, and we have the holy word of God alive and powerful. That's Hebrews 4.12. Sharpen a two-edged sword. Can I hear an amen for the word of God? God is speaking to us. God is used 68 times in this book. The Bible never argues the existence of God. In fact, do you ever have to argue your existence? It's really stupid. I'm going to prove to you that I exist. The fact that I exist proves I exist. God never, the Bible is never, in the beginning, what does it say in Genesis? In the beginning, God. No, no no, arguing, and all of the things that he talks about in Hebrews, all the things that we read in the word only are proving what we already know is true. There is a God, and he's, he's revealed himself to us. God cannot deny himself any more than you can deny yourself. So it says, Who at various times and in various ways spoke. He speaks God in, a, in many, many ways. We're going to look in, in the book of Hebrews and see some of those ways. But the bottom line that I see in Hebrews is that God is speaking. The problem is not necessarily hearing his voice, but what happens when I know what he said. And that's what Hebrews is going to be addressing. He spoke to Moses how? In the burning bush. To David through Nathan. Elijah was a what? Still small voice. Isaiah saw a vision. Hosea in his family circumstances, and to Amos through a basket of bad fruit. So God has lots of ways of speaking to us. He spoke through dreams, visions, angels, the Urim and Thummim, symbols, natural events, a pillar of fire, smoke, and many, many other ways. He spoke in Ur the Chaldees. He spoke in Haran. He spoke in Canaan. He spoke in Egypt. He speaks in Kent. He speaks in Auburn, in Des Moines. God is speaking. Amen? We want to hear his voice. So he spoke in time past, or he spoke, it says there, of old, rather than formerly. Of old, he spoke. This has deep roots. God has always been speaking, so long as his his creation has been around. So we're going to see in Hebrews some very unique ways that God spoke, and very unique ways that God will speak to us. The author quotes the Old Testament several times. And now, unlike the rest of the Old Test- New Testament writers, what he doesn't do is give the human author in Hebrews. It's just God said, the Holy Spirit said, Jesus said. So he himself is pointing to the fact that the book of Hebrews is God speaking to us, and he's emphasizing the divine voice or the divine authorship in the book. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets. So who's the audience? The Jews. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets, Has in his last days spoken to who? Us by his son. More literally on the last of these days. And we are, I believe, living in the last of these days. I believe really that we all, throughout all human history, have lived in the last of these days because we only get so many days. Right? So we might look at all of history as being it, but it also speaks of our own lives. God is speaking to us and wants to speak to us wherever we're at in our lives. So there's a connection, the prophets were not and are not irrelevant. Amen. The Old Testament is not irrelevant. It's God's word. God spoke through these prophets to prepare us for his son, and that's what Hebrews is pointing to. So there's a connection, the prophets. There's also an interruption because God spoke by the prophets, but now he's speaking us to us through his son, the final and complete revelation of his voice to human being. Now, it says there, he spoke to us by his son. Really, it's by son. There's no article. It's speaking about God. He is the son of God, and he's speaking about a specific individual with an essential nature that is God himself, as we'll see as we go on in our study. So there's a connection here and an interruption. There's also a connection with Judaism to Christianity. There's also the interruption between Judaism and Christianity. In, in, in the book of Hebrews and in God's plan. So here on your, on your little handout, and I'm, not, I'm flying over tonight just to give a little introduction. God has spoken eight things concerning his son. And we read these in the first four verses. He is appointed heir of all things. Through him also he made the worlds. Who is Jesus? He's creator God. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, number four, he is God incarnate upholding all things by the word of his power, number five. When he had by himself purged our sins, number six. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, number seven. And number eight, having become, here it is, so much better. We're going we're gonna to look at this in our, in our studies coming up, but not tonight. He's spoken seven things concerning his salvation. This is awesome about what God has given to us in salvation. It's, look at Hebrews 6, 9 a moment. And we're going to do a little flipping tonight. Look at 6, 9. He writes, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. And as we get into chapter 6, there's some tough stuff there. But Paul is, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews. God is saying... (laughs) We're covenant of better things concerning you. He's writing to Christian believers who are standing for the gospel. He's giving them these warnings, and some of these are severe warnings, but he's saying, Hey, I believe something way better for you. Things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So, what does he tell us about this salvation concerning God's salvation? 719, it's a better hope. 722, it's a better covenant. Eight, six it's a better covenant which was established on better promises. The word better is a key word. Hebrews 9:23 with better sacrifices. Hebrews 10:34 you have an, a better and enduring possession. Hebrews 11:16 but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country and finally in Hebrews 11:35 so there are seven of them so that they might obtain a better resurrection. What we believe about God's salvation is better than anything we could ever have devised, humanly speaking. Even better than everything God gave to the Jews to bring them into relationship with Himself, to understand the need for sacrifice, to go through these things that they might have God's presence right in their midst. All those things were only shadows. You know what a shadow is? It's nothing without the substance. If you don't have the substance, you don't have a shadow. So all these things that we read about that are so magnificent, they speak of all of God's wonderful promises that we're becoming in Christ. All of those things are just a shadow if there's no Jesus. And in Christ, we have a better you name it. All these things. It's just, it's just so much better. So these seven things concerning his salvation, the word is better. Now notice in 1140, to wrap these two bookends, 6-9, go to 1140. Hebrews 11.40. He says in 6.9, Beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Hebrews 11.40, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, there had to be the completing of Christ's coming, of the whole gospel going out, understanding these things, and realizing, you know, now that Jesus has come, it's a done deal. And we don't look forward, we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So God has provided better things concerning the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. A better hope, a better covenant, better promises, a better sacrifice, a better possession, a better country we're seeking, a better resurrection. Going to hear an amen on the betters? Okay. Now, better means it's superior. Really, that word is a little lacking. There's no comparison to what we have in in, in our salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, God, who at various times, various ways spoke in time past through the prophets, to the fathers, through the prophets, has in the last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of how many things? All things. Through whom also he made the worlds. And he just goes on to talk about Jesus. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. It's all about our wonderful high priest, our mediator of the new covenant, the better covenant. Finally, and this is where I want to focus a little bit of my time tonight, he's spoken five things concerning our salvation. So concerning his salvation, this is what he's given to us in Christ. Now what about our salvation? What about my salvation? What about the walk that I have, the relationship I have with God? This, now there are, seven, there are five warnings. You have them on that handout. Five warnings that accompany how I have, and by the way, this is my outline. I don't know if Greg and those guys would agree with it, but we're going to use it. It's going to be our little template, okay? So as we look at these five things concerning our salvation, they each have a warning in them. These solemn warnings by, this is very interesting to me. If you go through and just look at this and read it as I would share it with you. The solemn warnings by which the epistle is characterized are so inserted that the arguments made would not suffer if the warnings weren't there. In other words, what the, 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 the arguments that the writer is making about Jesus, if the warnings weren't there, the arguments would still stand. By my calculations, the book of Hebrews has 303 verses. 83, that's 27% of the text, are warnings. That to me says this is an important thing to take heed to, to be warned about. Now, again, warnings are good. It's better to get the warning and heed it than get the warning and neglect neglect it or whatever you want to do. Because there there are lots of warnings out there. In fact, how about for you? I find that God is very faithful to warn me. In fact, the book of Hebrews, I'll share something in a moment that also strikes me about the book of Hebrews. But God is always speaking. God has my attention many, many times. I have his word. I understand the truth. So God warns, and often he warns over and over, as he did his own people, the Jews. He warns us. He warns us. He warns us. But if we don't take heed to those things, then we're going to go over the cliff. We're going to experience the things that God's trying to warn us that we wouldn't experience. How many parents do we have out here that have warned their kids? You all have, ought to have your hands up, because I know you have. We warn them. From the youngest of age, we're warning them, we're warning them. Why? Because we don't want them to experience something that we know is going to be detrimental to their lives. So the warnings are necessary, a good thing that God gives us. In fact, in Hebrews 12, it says, God chastens those whom he, what? Loves. In fact, it says he scourges every son he receives. So God receives us. And many times that reception is a good spanking. Can I hear an Amen. Because why? He loves us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't chasten us. In fact, it says there, "For without chastening, then we are illegitimate children. We don't belong to God. Any parent, again, any grandparent knows exactly what I'm saying. And as we've been raised as children, we know exactly what I'm saying. Hopefully. Because we know the discipline that we received was for our betterment. In fact, Hebrews says, our father's discipline is as it seemed best to them. Now, sometimes as a child, I thought, this is not best for me. Amen? But that's our earthly fathers. Our heavenly Father knows exactly the warnings we need. He knows exactly the things that need to be said to us and that we need to take heed to because if we don't, God knows exactly what's going to happen. So may we see the warnings as God's gracious truth to steer us toward a deeper faith, hope, and love a deeper appreciation of this wonderful thing called salvation and ultimately that we bow our knee and worship Jesus as we've never worshiped him before because indeed he is the one who we worship. So the audience, now notice, we might remove these solemn warnings and still know what God has said, but we cannot remove these solemn warnings and understand what God is saying. Big difference. In other words, the application is the warning. We might understand some things, but we need to, God, I need to understand what you're saying now to me. Again, the audience is written to to Jews, specific group of Jewish believers. Again, they'd come to faith, taken a stand for the gospel. Here's the problem that I see in Hebrews. Their profession and practice as believers was starting to slip. I think if I were to say, how many of you have experienced the slipping of your faith over the course of your walk with the Lord? Have we not all experienced that? Thank God for the book of Hebrews. Thank God for these believers. In fact, I love the Bible because it doesn't sugarcoat anybody's relationship with the Lord. Everyone has these problems in trying to walk in this world by faith. So they had become, right from the book of Hebrews, they had become lazy. They no longer were giving earnest heed. They were neglecting their great salvation. They were no longer holding fast their profession or their confidence. The Christian life was feeble, some of them, and ready to die. Others had gone back and were in danger of coming short of the promises and yielding to willful sin and actually going back to perdition. Now, again, these are tough things. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, I got a lot I want to say to you, but it's, it, I can't say it right now. Still others were, were in danger of refusing God who is speaking from heaven. Now, if that resonates with any part of your walk with the Lord, even maybe today, thank God for Hebrews. Thank God for the study that we're going into. Interesting, I found in the book of Hebrews, the word listen is not in it. Now, you think, hearing the voice of God. I don't find in my translation, New King James Version, which is the only translation, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't take me on task on that. But in my translation, the word listen is not found in the book of Hebrews. And here's what what strikes me. As I've been reading, meditating on this book, studying it, the problem is not listening to hear. The problem is hearing to obey. That's the problem. In other words, we do know as believers. And God deals with us as with his children. And there are different uh, places we're at in our maturity, in our relationship with God. But to every one of us, God has spoken. And particularly if we're here hearing the word and listening to the word of God, he is speaking to us. When what God is saying is heard but not obeyed, that's the problem. Two key words. 42 times said or some derivative of that. Said, say, saying, say. Speaks, speak, spoke, spoken, voice, all those things. In fact, interesting, in speaks and sp- that any derivative of that word, it's used 22 times in the book of Hebrews. And then hearing, hear, and heard is used half of that time. God's spoken twice as much as I'm listening in that sense. He's speaking all the time. Some other key words. Faith, 31 times. Promise, 18 times. Hope, Just seven times, but it's a key word. Receive is used 22 times, and obtaining is used 10 times. But here's what I believe in Hebrews is the key word. It's heart. The word heart is used 11 times, just as many times as heard, hearing, or hears. It's a key word. God speaks. We hear as our hearts respond with faith in Jesus, leading to obedience. Let me read that again. God speaks, we hear only as our hearts respond with faith in Jesus leading to obedience. That to me summarizes what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It's our heart. And I want to look at some of those verses in flying over the book tonight. So again, the first section is the son of our salvation. The warning is, do not neglect so great a salvation. In Hebrews chapter 1, again, we read God who at various times has spoken to us, Through his son, he purged our sins. He obtained, verse 4, a more excellent name than they. So the first section is the son of our salvation. It is taking heed earnestly because of who Jesus is. And the warning is, don't neglect him. Don't neglect the faith. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. Do you ever get in a boat and drift? What happens? The currents take you where they will. You can be asleep in a boat and not even be aware you're drifting. We got to be alert and wait so we're not drifting. How are we alert? Taking heed. And the, the, the son of our salvation is take heed earnestly. That's the exhortation. Verse 2, chapter 2. If the word spoken through angels prove steadfast and every transgression of disobedience received a just reward... How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? so the testimony, the witness of those who saw Jesus, heard Jesus, reverberates down now into the book of Hebrews and tells us, hey, take heed earnestly to what's been said. How shall we escape if we don't? Verse 17 of chapter 2, Therefore... Jesus, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. Notice, this is key to this first section. He had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, which we need, in things pertaining to God. How? Notice, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So, taking heed, the son of our salvation, he has given us salvation because of his substitute sacrifice on our behalf. So that's the first section and the warning. The second section, chapters 3 and 4, is the sin of our rebellion. Again, key now is the heart. First talks about Jesus. No heart issues. Now we get into the heart issues. So he says, verse 1 of chapter 3, and again in this section, the warning is do not harden your heart. Do you know what it is to harden your heart? I told you my son, Marcus, he got arrested last night. He's in jail. As we're, as we're here tonight, we're going to pray for him. But I talked to him on the phone. And, you know, it, it, was, a, it was obviously very uh, sad among many things. Uh, he's, ma- he's, made, he's just making bad choices. And he's made a lot of them lately. We haven't seen him for a while. We got a call a couple nights ago, 1.30 in the morning. He's totally flipped out. The next night we get a call, the police came and arrested him, um, And so as I was talking to him on the phone, I couldn't discern whether he was really scared or his heart was hard, getting harder. And I'm thinking, Lord, please scare him to death. Not death, excuse me. Scare him. I hope that he's scared. Because it's you know, if the heart's getting harder, all of a sudden, you know, I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. And life can do that to us very easily. Our hearts can be hardened. They they just begin, what's a hard heart? Nothing penetrates. Nothing nothing there moves me anymore. I just, that kind of a a callousness. And so the key in this section here, the sin of our rebellion is, please don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. The day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works, 40 years. God said there was angry with that generation. They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my There comes a point where God gives people over. And here the sin of our rebellion. Notice, therefore, verse 1, holy brethren, partake of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ. In other words, look to Jesus. Verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing notice of the hope, Firm to the end. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone. You can't, you can't do anything about your sinful nature. But you can do something about your sinful responses. And that is, don't harden your heart. Listen. Verse 7. As the Holy Spirit say, says today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Verse 10. Therefore, as angry, they always go astray in their heart. Are you sticking with me here? Verse chapter 3. Therefore, as ang- uh, excuse me, verse 12, beware lest any of you be, it, it, there being any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief in departing from the living God. I'm done with you, God. But exhort one, and here's the exhortation. Here's, in the sin of our rebellion, we, get, we need continual exhortations. He says there, verse 13, but exhort one another how daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin while it is said, verse 15, if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You got that, that, that admonition? That's the warning. Don't harden your heart. So when we talk about our rebellion, as we will through this, through this study, the warning is don't harden your heart. Keep your heart soft to the Lord. Notice verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you, he says, there seem to have come short of it. So the warning, don't come short of these things. Keep your heart soft with the Lord. Listen to what he's saying. Take heed to it, to what he's saying. Now notice, here's the closing of this, near the closing of this section. Chapter 4, verse 16. Here's our hope. Here's our power. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is the answer to all of our rebellion, all of our hard hearts? Is to come to the throne of grace. Can I hear an amen? And find mercy, find grace to help in our time of need. Context, rebellion. Context, hard heart. Okay? The third section, how am I doing time-wise here? Eight minutes. Okay, I think we can get there. I appreciate the flyover. I hope you are. I'm loving this. This is how I begin all my studies, just flyover, highlighting words, trying to just get a feel for the whole book. I'm really so excited about going through this thing. It's just tremendous. Our salvation and what we have in our salvation, and to to know what God is saying is not what we're looking for. It's to be obedient. How can I be obedient? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, because the throne of grace that God has given offered to me to enter in and come boldly to the throne of grace and bring my life to God that I may obtain mercy, find grace to help in time of need. The third section is chapters 5 through 7 and here we get into the high priest of our confession and these are deep waters, these are weighty matters. And what he's telling us here, the warning, don't fall away. And you say, well, can you lose your salvation? Well, I'm going to leave that to somebody else to tell you. One of these other guys. <laughs> Actually, I'd be happy to talk about that. I... I, I I'm not going to go there tonight because I don't want too many questions when we're done. Can you lose your salvation? Can you fall away? Well, the warning here doesn't seem like much of a warning if you can't. So he says there in verse 6 of chapter 5, as he also says in another place, you are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Notice verse 9, having been perfected. Now, the, the whole thing here is go on to perfection. Who is the one who's perfect? Christ. In fact, Hebrews says he was made perfect through sufferings. Jesus, what he went through, gives us a perfect salvation. It gives us a perfect God in a relationship with him that's perfected, not by my perfections, but by the perfection of Jesus and what he's done for me. Can I hear an amen with that? He, we, we are to go on to perfection. The word means completeness. We're to be moving forward in our, in our walk with the Lord. How can we do that? We have a great high priest. And that's what he tells us, who is the high priest of our confession. So hold fast to that confession of who Jesus is. Therefore, having, notice verse, this is key. I've I've actually been meditating on this for several weeks now because it strikes me. Notice what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Leaving the elementary principles of Christ... Here's the key. Let us go on to perfection. Now, how do we do that? Notice what he says. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. What are you saying there? He's saying, no, there needs to be a continuing growth where I'm not dealing with the same sin all the time. Leaving those things and, re- and faith toward God. You know, I, I remember my early years, and it's still, sometimes it can get me. But it's not nearly what it used to be. But I remember, boy, you know, just my faith in God would be shaken so easily. So simply, I keep, well, you've got to believe, hey, it should be, we should be going on from that. We should have our faith rooted at the throne of grace, rooted in the cross, rooted in the, in the holy place, rooted that he's our high priest, and then go on from there. So we're not continually repenting from the same things. We're not continually having to come back to God with those things. So that's what I believe he's saying there, or, or faith toward God. Notice verse 4, it is impossible. Now that's a pretty <laughs> clear word. For those who were once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift, become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and taste the good works of God if they fall away to renew them again. Again, that's just something for you to think about and read. And by by the way, whenever we're reading and studying the Bible, it's context. What's the context of them saying these things? And then we can get what he's saying to us in the text. Now, again, the hope, verse 11. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice verse 17. God determining to show more abundantly the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed by oath. No, in other words, God has given us everything through Jesus Christ, the high priest of our confession. We should never be shaken in that sense from our secure place in in the presence of God. And we can go on to perfection. We can go on to completeness. Notice what he says in verse uh, 18, that by two immutable things, verse chapter 6, in which it's impossible, there's that word again, impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. We have such a tremendous hope in Christ. Verse 19, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul. Our hope, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus Christ and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. name. In Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Praise the Lord for our high priest of our confession. Praise the Lord that we don't have to experience any of that stuff as long as we're anchored in with Christ. Chapters 8 through 10 is the new covenant of our redemption. The key is endure patiently. The warning, don't draw back. Again, this redemption that we have, this new covenant is covered in chapters 8 through 10. But now verse 6 of chapter 8, Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry. He's the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. This whole new covenant, we'll get into that in these chapters. Talking about the new covenant, the old covenant, the law, grace through Christ And there's a lot of passage I I could get into here. But go to chapter 9 and verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Not with the blood of bulls, goats, and calves, but with his own blood, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all. How many? All. Having obtained, notice, eternal redemption. Notice verse 15 chapter 9. For this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of, here it is, the eternal inheritance. The, The book of Hebrews has five eternals. There's an eternal redemption, an eternal inheritance, an eternal salvation. There is an eternal judgment, and there's also an eternal spirit. Those are all ours, except the judgment one. Again, for the law couldn't take care of these things. Now, notice verse 16 of chapter 10. He says, This is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Here's where God's going to be working it's in the heart. I'll put my laws in their hearts, in their minds, I will write them. Then he adds, Their sin and their lawless deeds, I will remember. How long? No more. Key. He says that twice. In this chapter 10, he talks about God putting his his word in our hearts. Okay, the final one. Chapters 11 through 13, the testimony of faith. The warning is don't fall short. Look unto Jesus. Can I hear an amen again? I'm asking that just because, brothers and sisters, when we get done with this study, I hope it will be about a year that we'll be going through. I hope to, to say in my own heart, boy, I know Jesus so much better. I see what God is doing in my faith, that he is moving me forward. I'm going on to completion. Things are happening because of the eternal Holy Spirit working in my life, the eternal salvation, the eternal redemption, the eternal things that God is wanting to work, and he has also saved me from eternal judgment. So notice chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things what? Hope for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Verse 2, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. By, th- by th- chapter, verse 3, we understand the worlds were formed by the word of God. And we can go on and on. Abel offered to God. Enoch was taken away by faith. By faith, but without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God for those who, who come to God must first believe that he is as a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Again, this testimony of faith is looked to Jesus. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive. All these died in faith. Now, here's a key to the whole thing. Not having received what? The promise. You see, our faith is so directly hooked to God's promises to us, all of them. And so as you look at chapter 11 through 13, you see there the promise, the promise, the promise. Verse uh, 9, by faith, Abraham dwelt in a land of promise in a foreign country. Dwelling in the tents with the Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Sarah herself received strength to conceive, verse 11. She bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful, what? Who had promised. Verse 13, all these died in faith, not having received the promise. We know that that completion is in Christ. By faith, Abraham, verse 17. When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up Isaac. It's key, promise, promise. God has promised us so many things, and God cannot lie. His promises are sure and steadfast, anchored within the veil. The, again, they obtained promises. They had a good testimony. Now, notice in verse 28 of chapter 12 now, at the end of these, this, these two passages, or these two chapters. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Chapter 13 and verse 9 closes our little flyover. He says, do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. Now, hopefully we're not, but Hebrews is going to clear us up if we are. <laughs> but it is good that the heart be established by Grace. We've been saved by grace through faith. This whole thing of the testimony of faith is a testimony to God's promises and his grace toward us. Let me close a quote from Andrew Murray. He said, the more I study this epistle, the more confident I feel that the main difficulty lay in the want of religious earnestness. Their case is very much what has been the story of almost every church and what marks the state of the greater part of Christendom at the present day. It was to meet this spirit of backsliding, to warn against the disease and its danger, to make known the infallible cure that our author takes up by his pen. He saw that the one cause of all feebleness and faithfulness was this, the want of knowledge and the faith of what Christ and his salvation truly are. He sets himself to show them how wonderfully, how divinely all the prophecies and types of the Old Testament have their fulfillment in the salvation the Son of God has wrought for us. He unceasingly, I love this, He unceasingly places our weaknesses and Christ's person side by side. If they but know Christ, if we but know Christ, all will be well. Amen? Let me pray. Father, again, we're thankful for this book. And as I look over this thing, Lord, I'm just continuing to rejoice that we have been given the word. And we've been given the word so abundantly. So abundantly, Lord. And so I'm praying, Lord, and we're joining together. I'm praying for Greg. I'm praying for Rick. I'm praying for Lowell. I'm praying for Paul. Praying for myself. As we prepare the word, Lord, what we want to do is hear what you have to say to the church. What you're wanting to minister to us. So that we come here on Wednesday nights and we're getting the word together that the enemy would be absolutely have no place nothing he can do and lord you can speak to us and lord we're 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 wanting to hear and then take that take taking heed to our own walks with excuse me with you so holy spirit even now as we have some time to worship and pray and dialogue a little bit holy spirit please inhabit all that we are doing and continue to do tonight here in Jesus' name, Amen. So. While-